This episode of Pick Up the Six podcast is brought to you by our friends at Mud Gear. We have an awesome new partnership to tell you about, and we love Mud Gear because they're made tougher, just like you guys. It's outdoor gear for the outdoor athlete. You can get it dirty, you can sweat in it, it's all good, and I absolutely love it. If you go to my Instagram, you'll see me rocking Mud Gear shirts and shorts on that Blue Ridge Relay, and uh, it performed really, really well. We've got a great deal going for our listeners. You go to mudgear.com, you use the code PUT6, that's the number six, P-U-T and the number six, and you're saving 15% off today. Great shirts, great shorts, awesome socks. They've got a bunch of different kinds of socks. They've got full knee-high socks for compression. They've got running socks. They've got mountain biking socks. They've got rucking socks. It's all good. Go pick it up today. It's made tougher. It's mud gear and it's 15% off at mudgear.com using the code PUT6. Go get after it, pick up some of their stuff and help support a great company that we love to partner with. Dom Tyke knows what it's like to make split second decisions at 800 miles per hour. It's that single seat mindset that serves him well while in the cockpit of an F-16 and he's aiming to deliver that mindset through a book and growing community that guides those looking to define or redefine their purpose in this life by compiling short, punchy, and impactful stories from America's warriors in the air, the American fighter pilot. Oh, and he's doing all of it while directing 100% of the proceeds from the single seat mindset book to a childhood cancer foundation. They call him Slice, and he jumps into the studio with us on this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. Brian Jodis back once again for another episode of Pick Up the Six podcast. It's Dom Tyke who joins me. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me today. Excited to do this. Uh, our paths cross from our friends at Podmatch, so just a thanks to them, right, for uh, for yeah. helping connect yeah. people in the podcast space. It's been awesome, man. We've had man probably over a dozen interviews at this point from folks nice. through Podmatch, and so we sort of matched up. I tell people it's like speed dating for podcasters, which is a pretty accurate assessment. Yeah. Both swiped right. So (laughs) here we are. Yeah. Nice. I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. How's, uh, it's Monday, man. How's your Monday going? Yeah. Monday's going great. This, uh, always like to, uh, knock off the week or start out the week with one of these to just get off on the right foot. Yeah. Let's hope we do that. We'll get up in the aircraft with you, get to know you a little bit, hear your story. Yeah. Uh, Path to the military guys flown, uh, fighter jets, across the globe. We're going to hear why they call you Slice. And I'm yeah. excited because we've got Slice and Dice together <laughs> on this episode. So that's not the life, man. Something good something good is bound to happen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So take me back to the beginning of that journey, man. Uh, when did you know you wanted to fly and specifically get into some fighter jets in the United States Air Force? You know, I don't, I wasn't a kid that grew up, um, you know, have, having the swagger and, and, and everything figured out, you know, those, those people exist. It wasn't me. Um, which I think is kind of a cool message for, for younger kids that are maybe entertaining or, or, you know, don't have a guide or a coach to help them along that path is I wasn't born to be a fighter pilot. It's something that, you know, I, I grew into, um, one step at a time. Right. And I, I, there were things that I definitely did during my childhood, uh, and then, you know, into my adult years that, um, really, uh, helped that path. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's, um, you know, there's not a, there's not a ton of spots, not everybody can do it. However, um, a lot can, a lot are very well set up for that. Um, but you can, you can make poor life decisions when you're young 
<laughs> you know, mm. eight, eight years old to 16 years old. That's, those are some formative years that, you know, if you're, you're out smoking dope and doing, doing things like that, that can really, uh, hamper your ability to, yeah. to, to run that path. So yeah, as a little kid, I just loved airplanes, loved air shows. Um, you know, it's that, that's pretty common, but then, you know, building a fighter jet at seven years old, a little plastic model on the kitchen table with my dad. Um, I still have that, uh, little, nice. uh, jet model. And, uh, and then, you know, at 12 years old, standing on the flight deck with my uncle as the, uh, mechanics for Alaska airlines are, are doing engine runs and just looking at all the, all the controls and being in the cockpit and thinking, you know, I, I had thought that, well, my uncle's a mechanic. I like wrenching on stuff. Yeah. Um, let's give this a go. Let's, and let's do that. And then maybe I'll run into some pilots and I'll start flying that way. Well, at 16, I was basically in an a aviation mechanic uh, school. I had like signed up for it. And as I was about to start, um, a counselor handed me a flyer that was, um, basically a, a, an introduction to the flight school in Tucson, Arizona, cause we had moved there. And, um, you know, we went down and talked to the chief pilot and, you know, my old man was there asking questions and, um, it was all going, the meeting was going good until the chief pilot mentioned how much it was going to cost. And, uh, I was like, oh, I'm screwed now, but you know, well, where there is a will, there's a way. And, you know, there's a lot of banks that'll loan you money to do, <laughs> to make different career paths. So I started flying at 16 and then, um, you know, I, I worked pretty hard. I was, I was a, a go-getter. I worked three jobs and then, um, you know, when I was finishing up my last two years of college at 18, I got hired to be a flight instructor. And so I got to, I got to teach people how to fly and then, you know, getting picked up by an airline at the same time as getting picked up to the air force. Uh, so they gave me a job to be a pilot and I decided to take the air force route and, and then that's its own path too, right? Competing, mm -hmm. competing to get into a fighter jet is, uh, it, at, at times it's not fun because it's a lot of work. Um, but man, after, after four or five years of flying fighter jets, and once you get good at it, that's when, that's when you, you, uh, the, a lot of the fun stuff starts to happen. Yeah. Did um, you, where'd you go to school? Um, a bunch of different places, but my degrees are from Embry. I call it Embry ridiculous, but Embry riddle, uh, is where I have my, uh, undergrad and then I end up getting a master's with them as well. But you already had, I mean, you had a pretty, I mean, you had a pretty extensive knowledge base of flying. Right. So it's not like going to college, commissioning the Air Force and start that process. Then you were you were a little bit of maybe ahead of the curve on some of that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's there's some value to um, what a because my, my my dad worked with a couple of um, retired um, fighter pilots. And so I got to pick their ear. And then also um, when I was uh, when I was going through Embry Riddle, I went to a satellite campus for a while um, in Tucson. And there were a bunch of retired fighter pilots. So I got to, I got to talk to fighter pilots before oh, I even went in the air force, yeah, yeah. which was cool. And a lot of them said, you know, Hey, when you go to air force, um, pilot training, don't tell them about any of your experience on the outside. Cause one, they don't care. Uh, but two, if you suck, right. Then, <laughs> then <laughs> they're going to blame us. They're going to, they're going to, you know, then, then you're just like, you're creating problems for yourself. So, um, I did that. I actually, it was three days prior to graduation. I had already gotten a fighter track. Mm -hmm. I had already, you know, as I'm getting ready to graduate, you still got to go to pilot training, all that stuff, right? Yeah. So I was through undergraduate pilot training for the military. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was three days prior to graduation where an instructor looks over at me and he's like, dude, I didn't know you had over a thousand civilian hours. A lot. And so I kept it a secret. 
um, I don't know how it snuck out towards the end, but um, you know, a lot of a lot of guys that didn't have civilian time said that, you know, it, your civilian time isn't going to really help you. And I, that's completely false. Mm. There's, um, having, um, you know, having some air under your ass and like some flying time. Oh, it's huge. Just the concepts, it, it feels you know, to me, like it can only be a positive. I mean, I get the sense that they're going to have to retrain you on the, you know, this is the way we do things here, yep. but just that dude, just going through it, just being up yep. there for the first time, just pulling a G right. Like, like, yeah, I felt some of this before. Maybe it's a little different yeah. when you get behind the stick of something that's burning through the atmosphere. But I mean, you got to have yeah. some familiarity. But I also wonder, yeah. like, not a target on your back, but like, were some of those guys lecture hard on you once they knew that? No, because I was done. I was done. You were good. You were good. I was, I was through the program. I had done my last flight and I was literally waiting for, um, is either, uh, wasn't track anyways it was it was the graduation day coming up so i had i had finished uh tests academics flying like all simulators it was all done and so at that point i was like well you guys know now but that's it's fine like um you know lift lift weight thrust drag the four forces of flight those don't change uh if you go from military to civilian so there are so many concepts that um you know i had years of experience on the civilian side, yeah. teaching that stuff and, and how to, you know, teaching civilian pilots, how to fly an instrument landing system and just going through those concepts and talking to air traffic control, you know, asking for taxi instructions, like all of those basics that just cause you're in the military, those don't change. Right. You know, you still have a radio and, and do all those basic things. So what did you notice a big difference from that civilian world to then I right, checked in military world specific to some of the, the logistics of flying and just the way that the way things were operated. Yeah. So here's, and this isn't a dig on the military, but my, um, going from civilian to military, there were tons of positives and there were also some other aspects that were confusing to me. And one of them specifically was, um, maybe it's specific to pilots in the air force or just even my own experience and maybe even my personality maybe this being yeah. the way that i am maybe that brought out this comment that i'm about to share but the i have found largely which is is why i started single seat mindset um the my biggest push in the military having come from the civilian world and then i went through officer training so i didn't go through a service academy i didn't go mm -hmm. through rtc um i went through a 14-week course and then i was an officer and so, you know, even like, I didn't even know for years that you weren't supposed to put your sunglasses on your head, you know, and walk around inside the building. So like the, all those little customs and courtesies and stuff. But in the military, I found that um, pilots specifically were very, very like the U.S. Air Force um, does a very good job debriefing, um, which is where tons of learning happens. Some of the other countries around the world that I've flown with, um, that is one of their Achilles heels. And, and it's Maybe it's just Americans are more blunt and brash mm -hmm. and willing to like put that out there. But that's what makes us really good is the debriefing for aviation. Anything outside of aviation, uh, what I've found is that the feedback and the mentoring and the coaching that mm -hmm. happens for life lacks. So that is where, you know, I have tried to make a big push because on the civilian world, the chief pilot of the flight school that I was in, he would sit down with me and we would just shoot the bull and, and talk about life and, you know, finances, just all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist in the air force. It's, we get so busy deploying 
and doing all this stuff that we forget to talk to each other about the things that really matter, your family, your wife, your kids, where your kids going to school, what are you struggling with? Um, you know, if you're Christian, yeah, those like are how important how, things. Yeah. And those are really the bedrock of your, the majority of your daily life. And mm. when those start to fall apart, your marriage, mm. your kids, you know, in, in my specific instance, I had some, some rocky times, you know, after two deployments and 30 plus trips around the world. Um, you know, it wasn't until a few years ago where I moved to Phoenix here that I was actually together with my wife more than I was away. Wow. So, I mean, I was six years away of the first 10 years and we had six moves in the first 10 years. So it's just mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of stuff going on that is outside periphery to what you're doing in the military. So this, that's what I would say. Like, I, it's not a dig on the military. Again, I'm going to go ahead and take ownership of that and say that maybe I wasn't asking the right questions or, mm -hmm. but they're just, it wasn't coached and it wasn't mentored to do that. So that's one of the big, um, uh, passions that I have is to teach some of the younger guys about the other as the periphery aspects of life outside of the the fighter jet world because when they, man when they get to us Brian that these dudes have worked a, a long time to even step in the door on day training day one here at the F16 schoolhouse mm -hmm. so they're already driven to do that um, very rarely will we get attitude problems um, most of them are just so jazzed to be here um, so that would be kind of the big like yeah. overarching thing that I saw from civilian to military Um, the civilian there's part 61 flight training, which really what that means is that it's, it's just a dude at an airfield that can teach you how to fly. I worked for a 141 school. So I was actually in a college that had a syllabus. So it was very structured. Um, and then when I got into the military, the military is very structured specifically with their syllabus and their training and all the blocking and tackling that happens. It was very similar to how we did it with the addition of the debriefing. The debriefing is where the military just did a very, very good job of addressing all the little intricacies of what happened and how to get better on the next flight. I love it. Uh, it's called the single C mindset. We're going to talk about the genesis of that, right? You've already hit on a little bit about what you're hoping to do through it. Tell us what flying F-16 is like. And tell us why okay. they called you Slice. Okay. Uh, flying F-16 is, <laughs> it's like, kind of like the first time I flew a civilian airplane, which was like sitting in a lawn chair with a, a mower engine on the front, except now you're going about 10 times as fast. Everything is really smooth. So the faster you go, you know, if, if you're in a little Cessna airplane and you're on a, you're on a, like an afternoon here in, in Phoenix, it's gonna You're going to get bumped around mm. and the F 16 gets bumped around a little bit because, but because you're going so fast, it dampens it out and we have fly by wire controls. So it's very, very smooth. I mean, you move, you move the control stick, uh, a centimeter and the jets moving around on you. Mm. So it's very sensitive. Um, and it's just super fun. I mean, the, the F 16 has a bubble canopy that kind of wraps um, it wraps around you and then it kind of goes down. So you can, without even like tilting the wings, you can look out the side and see the ground underneath you. Um, and it's just so smooth. I mean, it is, it's, it's so smooth that when some, like when I take somebody up for an incentive flight and they move the controls, they are, uh, I would, I would say that's kind of violent. Like, especially mm -hmm. if you push the stick fast, like the control stick, if you push it fast to the left, you're going to do a bunch of aileron rolls really fast. And, um, if you're not used to that and your, your somatosensory system, so all the stuff that controls like the, the, the inner ear 
like water like we and shouldn't like, be doing you know, this we shouldn't no. be doing this yeah your body's like this we weren't designed for this right mm-hmm. um and then you know just pulling g's the f-16 can um can pull um the jets rated at nine g's so nine uh what would they say forces uh acceleration due to gravity right yeah. so think of yourself going into a turn on nine a, times your body weight basically and pressure yep, on your yep. body right and so the the f-16 the seat is canted back i think it's about 30 degrees okay um, and so as you're sitting like that, that does take the edge off of the pain. Um, but it, it still, you know, it still hurts. Like I actually try not to pull nine G's. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, one would think, you know, you don't <laughs> but when to. I was a young dude and I was healthy and like, that was something we did very regularly. And now if, if I can avoid it, um, there's really no reason for slice to be pulling nine G's. There's, but there's, speaking I've, of, I've, hold on, let me, yeah. let me real quick, real quick. Yeah. I love it. I have such a great memory of my dad bringing home a videotape where they like, yeah, we're going to video you in the centrifuge and we'll show you what your face looks like when you're, yeah. and it's, yeah. it's the funniest stuff ever. It's funny you say yeah. that because I'm looking, Brian, right here at the yeah. original VHS. Pop it in, man. Have a blast. The thing is, I don't have a VHS player, so I contacted my cousin and she's going to, uh, I think she's going to uh, figure out how to get the information off of it so that I can watch it. Cause I want to show my kids, yeah, you know, yeah. cause it looks so funny. It looks yeah. So just funny. it'll be make fun of dad night. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, you might remember guys, if you've been to an air show, you've seen the mighty, uh, us air force Thunderbirds. That's the F 16, right? The F 16 yep. is the Thunderbird aircraft. So you, you've seen it in air shows. You've seen it do a lot of cool stuff when it's in combat, right? When it's down range, what's its specialty? Um, so the, the, the aircraft specifically that the Thunderbirds fly, it's the block 50 version. So it's got the, uh, the GE motors in it and, um, I'm biased. Most of my time is in block 50. Well, maybe not anymore. Um, cause I've, I've flown block 25s, thirties, forties, 42s and fifties now. Um, so I've been pretty fortunate to fly all the different blocks, but the block 50 has, um, its specialty is what we'd call the wild weasel mission. So it carries these big uh, telephone pole sized missiles that, um, through different systems on the jet, basically, uh, if you look up wild weasel on the internet, you're going to find it, but it's our job as the wild weasels to go in and find the things on the ground. that are going to shoot our friendly forces when Mm -hmm. they're trying to go in to get the mission done. So, um, you know, there's, that's, that's a, like a year worth of explaining what the wild weasels does, (laughs) but, um, it's got a great motor. I mean, I have, um, a decent amount of combat time in that jet and it's just it's treated me really well um all, i mean all the f-16s have but i'm just i'm really biased because that one it just the motor uh the jet itself the the computers avionics and the mission um i've just have so many fond memories of of flying that airplane in uh in combat gray not not in the traditional thunderbird paint job when you're yeah yeah exactly in, and that that jet actually is where you had asked where i'd got my call mm-hmm. sign and i was actually um as I was new in the airplane, you get, you get named by the dudes in your squadron, right? It's not a name that you pick. And I was doing, um, a, it was called a high aspect, basic fighter maneuvers, essentially just dog fighting where you pass really close going opposite directions. And as you pass, that's when the fight starts. And then it's the first, whoever kills the other airplane, the fastest. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I was getting a little bit spicy that day. And, uh, <laughs> I broke a training rule and pointed at the other aircraft too long and had a very close pass, um, that that's why the training rules are there so that you don't kill yourself. And so they, um, you know, I was in a Japanese squadron, the, the samurai at the time. And so they, 
they said I tried to slice my my uh, instructor in half, and it kind of fit with the the Japanese, you know, yeah. full tang ninja sword theme. So yeah. um, I, I was fortunate, right? I've been called a lot of a lot of worse things in my <laughs> life, so I was pretty happy to get the call sign slice because uh, up to that point, I had I had been I had several different <laughs> nicknames that I had been called uh, that are for a uh, for a different time sure. and conversation. Yeah, Maybe over, over a whiskey. Beer. Yeah, maybe over yeah. whiskey or a beer. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome, man. That's a good story. Thanks for uh thanks for sharing it with us. Air Force Aviator, uh, you watch Top Gun movies. Where are we at here on Maverick? Thoughts, yep. analysis, critique. Yeah. Uh, so I mean tomato score. With you. <laughs> you know, I thought it was for for what they did, I thought it was very entertaining. I thought the the cinematic uh elements of the video were done really well. Um, I think that that most people share those sentiments now if you want to talk about like the the tactics and what they were doing and all that stuff i sure. I, I just it had looked to laugh. really good and the way they yeah. encapsulated yeah. the flying stuff was pretty incredible yeah the only Maybe downside is moments, they were, you know yeah. where they're running around outside of the aircraft where you're like eh, I don't know yeah that, but. yeah and the jets they were flying too. like the other downside is that we have a single seat mindset and they they have two seats in the f-18 so tom cruise was flying a single seat f-18 mm -hmm. but they were flying the super hornet f-18 version which is why they had a guy in the back right. um, and it's not a dig at them i mean even even within single seat mindset we've had um you know two seat as long as you're, it's a fighter pilot mindset right if you're a pilot in a pointy nose jet um the guy in the back is not uh he's not a pilot it's not a dig at them it's just there's something about being a pilot in a, yeah. in, a in the fast jet business that's when a you've bit got the stick right and i can't relate to this personally but just from hearing stories and having it in the bloodline there's a difference between you got stick now it doesn't mean you don't need the wizzo in the back right you don't yep. need that guy or yep. gal to do what their job is but somebody ultimately is responsible for the outcome of that aircraft yeah right that yep. falls on you guys so tell me about the single seat mindset you've talked about it a little bit what is yep. it yeah, so the um, single seat mindset, what we found is that the genesis of it happened as COVID was getting, you know, in the inception of COVID, right? When people were locked down, we had a class going through that was that was really struggling uh, in the F-16 basic course. And it started with um, me sending them a two minute message once a week while they were in training. And it was just um, a lot of it was written from my perspective of my failures. It was, mm -hmm. hey, I did this. And that's why I suck. And there, here, here's if you get into this situation, here's the way you dig yourself out. Here's the way to avoid this in the first place. So um, I've messed up so many times in my life and had, I'm I, like I said, I was not born to be a fighter pilot and, and I'm an action taker, which means a lot of times, even in the absence of having a coach, I'm going to be taking action. Even if it's the wrong action, I'll just pick myself up and just try again. So that's how I'm wired. Um, I think that being a fighter pilot has definitely helped uh, that mindset grow even more. There are there are good and bad to it, right? But most of the time, when you see the people sitting around figuring that I call them, uh, they're you know they call it analysis paralysis or the figurers. I'm already a mile ahead of them because I just start running, so I'm running down other tracks. So I took that, took my lessons, packaged them into a little message that took on many different forms. It, the program is now called the Competent Wingman, um, but it, we we automated it through singleseatmindset.com um, so that other people can use it, right? Because we started seeing um, uh, airline pilots use it and and other things. So we we took those little messages, we being me, mm -hmm. and then I put it into a blog. And then I was sick of sending something out every week to all these different classes. So then I 
created a website, figured out how to automate it so that they could sign up for it if they wanted, just put their email in, right? And they get these little messages once a week. And then I started talking to some of the older fighter pilots. I'm like, if you retire, your story is gonna, what are you doing with your story? How do we, how yeah. do we get that out yeah. there? So that's where Single Seat Wisdom, the book, um, started, right? And it's, it's a basically a compilation book of 20 fighter pilot stories, each from a different fighter pilot, each with a different message. And it takes you about 10 minutes to read each one. So they're short, punchy, anecdotal, impactful. And then it's the fighter pilot's wisdom or spin at the end of the chapter. And it's not just aviation. Now, granted, it is from the mindset of a fighter pilot. But I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, fighter pilot fatherhood is one of the chapters. Um, yeah you know, perspective from one of the pilots that, you know, lost his wife to cancer, right? Uh, just really impactful stories, even for me reading them. And so basically, my company just packages those stories together, we put it in the book form, Kindle, what have you, we haven't recorded them, we don't have them on audible yet, unfortunately, because mm -hmm. we're, we're less than two years old. Sure. But that's kind of where it grew from was, um, you know, I wanted to coach and mentor the students, but the, we didn't have access to them because they were locked down on different schedules. So I was like, well, yeah. how do we reach these guys and help them, which then quickly turned into a blog website, automating that program. And then now we're up to several books as of this recording, we're um, publishing um, single seat wisdom volume two. So it's 20 new uh, chapters, all from a different fighter pilot. And then I was talking, you, you had talked about pod match. I was talking to an F4 fighter pilot the other day. And he signed up for chapter one and volume three. So we already have volume three kind of like unofficially launched for, you know, when was he flying F4s? What's that? When was he flying F4s? Uh, I don't know the exact year, okay. but I mean, if, if you know how old the F4 is, it was, yeah. it was a, it was a, a minute ago. Yeah. It could have been a while. <laughs> I just, I just love the, I mean, it's not like you really asked anybody's permission to get going with this thing. You sort of saw a need and it even goes back to like, your days, you said before, not a knock, right? Great at, great at debriefs, but we're missing a little mentorship, at least from your perspective. And you're like, maybe I can create this thing around this where it can help these folks. But it also seems to me like applicable outside of the aircraft. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I had, a, I had a guy from, I think, Minnesota emailed me and he's like, I'm a, I'm a floor manager for a large air conditioning company. And I'm seeing these issues and I, I read this chapter yeah. on whatever. And like, I did that and I signed up for the competent wingman program at singleseatmindset.com. And, and it's just, it's leveraging, um, you know, for single seat mindset. If I could like wrap that up and go, what is it? Um, what I found was that outside of fighter pilots, even goal oriented individuals, people that want to, you know, advance the puck down the ice. If you want an analogy, they don't really like rigid structures, slow processes, right? They just want that stuff to move to the side and they, you know, let, let, let's get going. Let's have some outcome to our day. I want, mm -hmm. I want something measurable. So we know we're moving forward and, you know, fighter pilots like myself, like the ones we have now over 40 fighter pilots on our team through single seat mindset. Um, so it's not just messages from me, which was the reason why I kind of cast the net wide as I'm like, yeah. let's get all of your stories out here because you guys bring a completely different perspective. So fighter pilots make, you know, split de second decisions at like 800 plus miles an hour. We do that every single day. So it's, it's not necessarily that we have superhuman strength. We're just trained for that. So how do we take that training, leverage it into other, you know, peak performing professions, athletes, coaches, uh, you know, anybody that wants to kind of get through life. And that's why we created single seat mindset was mm -hmm. to just show 
show others how to avoid our failures, but then go, hey, here's a little bit of way to control your path to success. Because you can't control everything, but here are some things that allow you to weather those storms as you're as you're, you know, running down your your trail. And it's not an A to B line, it's a zigzag, right? So you kind of weave yourself there. Who else is part of this thing with you? You talked about those other 40, right? Who else is part of this group? You know, tell us, right? So we now have, like, as of this second, we have, we have fighter pilots from every service. So Air Force, nice. um, Navy and Marines. Um, so we have, uh, I'm trying to think, we don't have an F4 pilot yet that's written a story. So that's volume three. We'll be working on it, yeah. Um, it would be so super cool to get a bunch of F100 series. So the Thud, the 101, the F100, like the all of the F1 old. I got an F111 guy if you're interested. That's not a fighter jet ah. though. That's a bomber. Okay. So that so that is that is the unfortunate piece of it is that it's a, that's a bomber. So it'd have to be a fighter jet pointing those. Diff- how's the F111? A, what, how's it? How's it different? It's 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 very similar to like the B1. Okay. It's it's a very fast swept wing bomber jet. Oh, it's okay. not a uh it's not a fighter jet. Interesting. But the F yeah. So I mean, I think that we could get gray on that and call it a fighter. It's <laughs> just fighter. He flew fighters too. Yeah, so yeah right. it's a fighter. We'll call it a fighter. I he changed F fifteens uh, too, so it'd be all right. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. F fifteen for sure. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. I I was I need to think a little bit more about so who that. Who else but... is in this group though? Yeah, tell me who else is in this yeah, group. Yeah, so all the different services are represented um all the different jets i don't know if you want names um we can pass you those later no, but it's just are, cool man i'm just i just yeah. love how it's grown right you've built this community up around it it's it's crazy and i didn't have i never brian did i ever think of myself as an author or mm-hmm. you know fighter pilots don't build websites <laughs> we we don't do well, this i was just thinking like stuff. you just stood up an entire entire digital media component yeah it was sort of like because i'm just going to get going and we'll yeah. figure it out and it sucked <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it sucked because yeah. I, I didn't have a coach or a guide initially. I was, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of, I had the mindset, but then I didn't have somebody going, you need to be doing this. So I was kind of figuring out a lot of my stuff on my own and I was just taking action. And what that meant was that, I mean, the first website that I built and I know like there's probably better terms for this and there's probably something I was doing, but it crashed like five times. It just completely imploded and I had to start over like five times. Yeah. So, you know, there's, just uh, so that's where I would have been like, dude, just use these. There's so many options of like drag and drops and like, they yeah, got them. yeah. Just take it easy. Like, you don't yeah, I know. Crazy. The thing is, though, is that how do you even know to look for that or to do that? Right. So yeah. and then, yeah, just writing. Yeah, you built the I, airplane as you were flying it, obviously, which makes yeah. sense for this group. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wrote a book for uh, apartment investing company that I own. So that's where I kind of learned to build the website mm. and and, and do that stuff. So I just was leveraging some of the stuff that I already had figured out from a business standpoint. Um, and then just kind of took it a, you know, took it a, a step by step and it's grown into this, grown into this thing. And I have people saying, when are you going to start the single seat podcast? Yeah. I'm like, I was going to well, ask I, the same thing. Cause you got plenty of people to interview. Yep. I got people to interview. I just don't have the time. I mean, I'm running a real estate company. I'm a full-time fighter pilot. <laughs> I'm doing, we're writing books. Got a family. Like, I got a family. Remember that family kids. you mentioned yep. before that yep. you're trying to spend more time with because you lost a lot yep. during deployments. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So all of that is kind of a you know we say no to most things nowadays mm-hmm. yeah. because there's just so many things to do. There's so many parties to go to, so many sports to play, yep. and there's only so many hours in the day. And yep. we've just started saying no to a lot of stuff. And man, it's given our family a lot of stability. Um, you know, just being together. Yeah, I hear and, you, man. I I had to turn down stuff the last two weekends. 
and it might not sound like a big deal, but I'm coaching our first grader soccer team, but I've committed Like I can't miss, right. And I had to miss one or two games for some other things that were already on the calendar a year in advance, but other stuff that pops up, like, no, we, that's, she's going to remember that game. Yeah. She'll remember that for a long time. How is all of this impacted? Right. Cause I'm guessing you've learned a lot about yourself as not just a fighter pilot, but as a husband, a dad, I know it's helped in your faith walk. You mind telling me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I um, I got kind of, uh, I think probably this happens to a lot of people. I don't think that this is anything crazy that happened to me. But as I joined the military, I kind of, I was a very lukewarm Christian Catholic. You call it whatever you want. It, it, it was probably, it would have probably been better if I just didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and where it kind of comes to a head is after multiple deployments and being all over the world and moving back here to Phoenix, I started uh, what my I grew up, dad bought single family homes. So I started buying single family homes as rental properties. And so three weeks over Christmas, I'm like renovating this property. And then the next Christmas, I find myself in a, an eight unit, um, you know, little mini apartment that I had bought and I was renovating the first unit there. And I just remember it was two or three days prior to Christmas. And I was, I was struggling a little bit like with my faith uh, in Christianity, I was struggling with some other things. Right. And then the business kind of was growing fast Mm -hmm. and I was learning a lot and I was firing a lot of people. I was hiring a lot of people. So I was in that phase of just, you know, the first three years, it's kind of a struggle. And I remember taking the sledgehammer because we were demoing one of the interiors of these properties. And I took the sledgehammer and I chucked it across the room and it went through the kitchen wall and I locked the building up and I drove home to be with my family. So that was kind of like a defining moment of, Mm -hmm. Uh, how many more Christmases am I going to give up with my kids at home? You know, not working and for, and on for Christmas. What? And for what? For money. But those and days leading thing. up are the best days. Christmas is great. I, I mean, I love I know, it. I know. Days so leading the, up are the best days where you can really relax and really spend time with them. But when you are, when you're in it, right? And you're, you just go, go, go. I call it the achievement hamster wheel. So you're just achieving, you achieve that thing and then you're on to achieving the next thing, sure. right? Sure. And so you get stuck in that hamster wheel and, um, you know, fast forward a few more months, I had grabbed onto the hamster wheel and I was just flopping around inside of it, right? Mm. Like life was giving me a ride that I didn't sign up for. Um, and that's where, you know, I found myself, uh, you know, in counseling and going through some other stuff because my trash can that I throw all my junk in, I just kept throwing, I never emptied it. I never took the trash out and it freaking blew up on me. And it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, you know, just getting kind of mentally broken down, not physically, but just breaking down and going, okay, well, where do we go with this? Like what, what's important in life? And I tell you, what's not important. If you start with money, you're always going to fail. Eventually you'll fail. It just rip you apart. And, and that's where, you know, there's, there was many other things. I mean, that's a, its own conversation in its thing, but like as of two years now, uh, I had what, I don't know what you want to call it. And then a whole, the Holy spirit and encounter mm-hmm. with Jesus, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like that has changed our lives. It's changed my family's life. It's changed my life. It's, um, I'm, I probably, Brian, I probably have 10 times as many things going on now. And I probably work 50% of the time, yeah. um, because we're grounded in what is the truth, right? Which is not money and cars and your house and all that junk, right? The, 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 ti- the timing of this part of our conversation is not coincidental. So if you, like me, sat in a pew yesterday on Sunday, 
And if yeah. you heard the gospel reading, and today is yeah. the 19th of September, so you can go back and look at whatever Bible app you want and see what the daily gospel message was. You cannot serve two masters, God yep. and mammon. Mammon is yep. your work, how you make money, how you provide. You can't serve both. You must serve yep. one over the other. And we know the answer of which one it's supposed to be. So yep. I wasn't even planning on talking about that, yet here we are. And you just yep. said, like, I was yep. chasing this one thing. I said, well, what I tell you is right? Be, be, be steadfast, be diligent in your mammon, right? Work hard, provide for your family, but yep. you can't supersede ultimately what we serve, which is a great and powerful God. I know you agree with me yep. on that one. And I'm just glad we got a chance to talk about that. We don't do that every episode here, but uh, yeah. call it what it is, right? That's not by coincidence yeah. that we heard that message yesterday. Yeah, that's so true. And it's, it's the same there's it's, it's written elsewhere. I can't quote it off the top of my head, but it's, uh, it's for the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. So that doesn't mean that you can't make That's money. Right. That doesn't mean that you can't be wealthy, right. but you can't love the money when you start loving the money. And it's funny you say that, Brian, when I started single seat mindset, it was, you know, I had started businesses before, but I, when we started it, I said, I'm not going to keep any of this money. We are giving a hundred percent of their proceeds to a children's cancer nonprofit. And so all of the money that single seat mindset makes, we give away. And that took a lot, it took yeah. many years of failures for me to get to that because there's one point where I was like, do I love money? Do I, am I, what am I willing to risk? Am I willing to risk my relationships with my kids? Am I willing to lose more Christmases and do Yeah, no, I'm not, that doesn't work. And you know, I, if families get torn apart for it and, and you gotta have a healthy understanding of it, but uh, to prove to myself that I'm not doing it for the money, I give it all away. And it's uncomfortable, but holy smokes, then people are just like, uh, you know, fighter pots, they, they all pay all of these authors pay the, the children's cancer nonprofit to be a part. So in order to write their chapter in the first place, that's I cover all the, the, they send the payment right to them. I've, I've, yeah. So I, I set something up with the foundation so that I can track it on my webpage to see if people are paying and all that stuff, but mm -hmm. that money doesn't go to me at all. It just goes straight to That's their incredible. accounts. So I don't have to pay a tax on it. That's one of the other big things, sure. but they give direct to the foundation and then they write their chapter. So they're, they're giving on multiple fronts awesome. to even participate. That's awesome. And then I tell them, I'm just, I'll, I'll do all of the stuff. That's not fun about designing a book and, and all of that, all of that yeah. stuff. That's just, it's garbage. That's what, prevents a lot of people from writing a book, but we've done it before. So you write the story, I'll, we'll go back and forth, we'll fine tune it, we'll send it to a copy editor, we'll get it all designed and professional looking, and then we'll get her published. It's awesome, man. Tell them where they can go again. Cause I mean, now it's like everybody better flood that, go sign up for that. You know, the money's going to a great place. So <laughs> tell them where they can yeah, go. Yeah. It's all the, the launch pad is singleseatmindset.com. It's all right there. Uh, I don't do this for every podcast, but if your listeners have listened to this point, if they go to singleseatmindset.com forward slash podcast guest, it's one word, all lowercase podcast guest, they can get a signed copy of Single Seat Wisdom Volume 1 for free. No strings attached. I'll send it to you. I've done it before. Um, so they can go sign up there. Um, I don't sell their information. Uh, I'm just, I want to, I want to get the book in their hands because if they, if somebody signs up for it and gets that book, you can re-gift it and, and help even more people, uh, with the message. Freaking slice, man, hooking you guys up. You just heard it. It doesn't <laughs> do it always. It just gave you an incredible opportunity to not only support, right. Help be a part of something good, but man, add, add a couple arrows into the quiver, man. Right. Yeah. Add a couple in there. 
to get yourself a little bit better. Last thing before we go, you know, I just think about you talking about going through hard times. And, you know, my dad tells me this story. I've heard him tell in front of a lot of people. He's in the middle of a massive operation at the tail end of his career, right? At this point, he's been in the Air Force for 35 years. Wow. It's Operation Unified Protector. Like the eyes of the world are watching. It's a big deal. And he's out of whack. And he admits, he's like, I got myself out of whack. I let some of my priorities get out of whack. I had to take a pause in the middle of this thing and like recenter, refocus, refocus on my faith and my family and even pull myself out of that. So there's lessons in that where no matter what you're going through, whatever you're thrust into, right? Keep, keep those priorities. And if you got to pull yourself out of something to refocus and re re remember what's important, you can always do that. I I'm a believer that you can always do that. Yep. And there's people around you that'll help you too and help you stand back up. You just got to ask. So I had to put my pride away and ask for help. And that, uh, that was my first lesson. He's Dom Tyke. They call him slice. It's the single seat mindset. Go to their website, singleseatmindset.com slash podcast guest. He's got a great opportunity for you guys to be a part of it. Dom, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Had a ton of fun. Me too. That's Slice. I'm Brian Jodas. That's been this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast.